Welcome to Cerebrona. I'm Yvette. And I'm Cynthia, and this is episode five. We're two Latinas from working class immigrant families navigating law school and bringing y'all raw, critical analysis of the law, current events, and personal politics. On this episode, in our current events segment, we'll be talking about the revenge porn that Rob Kardashian posted of Black China. For our case segment, we'll be talking about the case of Pervi Patel, who was sentenced to 20 years in prison for feticide. And for our deep thought segment, we'll talk about the new Hulu show, The Handmaid's Tale. We want to send give a, th- a quick thank you to our patrons, Fraylin Dizay and John Bonacorsi. Thank you for supporting us. And as a quick note on Ismael Chamu, the Berkeley student who we talked about on our last episode, uh, we've seen reports that he has been charged with vandalism and a hate crime because he allegedly tagged fuck white people and uh, anti-cop messages in Berkeley. He is currently being held on $85,000 on an $85,000 bond. Uh, well, just as a quick note, I'll say we'll say that the bond amount is obviously retaliatory. Uh, $85,000 bond for vandalism is extremely disproportionate. And also, I think it's important the I think that the fact that he was charged with a hate crime for saying fuck white people also circles us back to the our previous conversation about um, the definition of racism as being prejudice plus power and how um, thinking about how mu- how we'd be in a much different place now if we thought about subjugation uh, or oppression as being tied to contextual subjugation because um, it's fundamentally different for a person of color to say fuck white people in our current climate than for a white person to say racial slurs. Um, So I think this just gives us something to think about um, as an extension from what we were talking about in our last episode. Thank you, Yvette. So to get into our current events, Rob and Black China. Yvette, why should we even be talking about this? So... Uh, for me, the reactions that people had about Rob posting these pictures of Black China um, were it was a true symbol of how pervasive rape culture is in our society. A lot of the things that I saw on Twitter were something to the effect of, well, China has posted nude pictures herself, so why does it matter if uh, another person posts nude pictures? She obviously doesn't care if people can see her naked body. Um, And the way in which that's tied to rape culture is that it's this idea that if you say yes once, you say yes to everything. It's tied to that idea of being a tease that um, if you flirt, if you send signals that you're interested and then you later decide that you're not, that you are wrong for doing so and that you deserve to have to be sexually assaulted. Yeah, and I think it also just plays into rape culture by, like, totally being okay or not understanding what's the difference between when a woman does it herself and, like, when someone else does it without consent or or without, you know, any sort of agency uh, taking place. Like, I don't think people understand why that's important and why that makes a difference. It's not just about your body being seen. It's under being able to control you know, who sees it, when they see it, like why you're releasing it and like what you want to gain from it, you know, and when Rob posts these pictures without any of the consent, he's denying Black China the autonomy over her own body. 
Exactly. And I think that that's also tied to the fact that Black China was a stripper because sex workers aren't treated with dignity and respect. And there's this idea, like, like you said, like, I don't think people fully accept that sex workers have full agency over their bodies. And so there's this idea that if you engage in sex work, then like, you open yourself up to all these possibilities of sexual assault. And um, there is no logic behind it. The logic behind it is just rape culture. Yeah, and it's really upsetting. Just like why are we putting down strippers so much like i get why i get why we do it because like all the historical inequities that we had but it just like stripping you know you make good money you know if you want to go into entertainment it might be a good start of your career like what's wrong with stripping like you're showing your body you're dancing like why is it so much of the shame on like strippers like why should they be ashamed of that like most of them are incredibly talented the majority of them i want to say and like dance really well and can do all sorts of things that it's just so impressive why you know like we need to stop shaming them when like immediately full stop yeah i actually think it to be able to pole dance requires like an immense amount of abdominal strength and i don't think that people appreciate that um, but I, I think that part of the reason, like, part of the really intense backlash towards Black China and, and, like, a lot of the critique around her being a stripper is also really racialized. And I think it's important to talk about, like, the wider context of the Kardashians and the how they appropriate Black culture and, like, how um, I think the negative backlash against Black China, but, like, the fact that there isn't that same kind of disrespect towards Kim Kardashian is at its core a very racialized thing. Yeah, and I I completely see that. And it's, it's, I don't know, personally, I've always been like a pretty good defendant of Kim Kardashian and the Kardashians in general. So, because there's just been so many ways in which like Kim Kardashian has like, put out this persona of her that like people mock her for it and made billions off of it um and just made so much money and honestly I feel like she really enjoys her life you know so she's been able to take like everything that people say about her just all of this and like turn it into her own empire where people can't stop like talking about her or like listening watching her tv shows or following all the details of her life and I've always you know I've applauded that I've applauded her like taking removing the power from the males in her life and like having complete ownership of her own image and her own persona but I yeah I agree that like all the difference here that we're seeing is so rooted in anti-blackness right where like Kim Kardashian and the Kardashians can do all of this stuff um and Rob like stands by his sisters and like I feel like would is a proud member of his family but is turning around and shaming black china yeah, and I, I agree, like, there's some aspects of the Kardashians that I respect, um, like, I, I think that a lot of, there's, like, a lot of the critique against them is ultimately rooted in misogyny, because, right, like, there's these unrealistic beauty standards placed on women, and then when a woman enjoys those aspects, like, when a woman enjoys buying makeup, buying clothes, looking good, then suddenly she's stupid and artificial. So it, it just proves that, like, in a misogynistic world like we live in, there's no way for a woman to win. And that's why, like, the most important thing is just prioritizing joy 
as a woman as a femme Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that's what I think that in many ways they do that, but then my critique of them is lodged in the fact that um, they appropriate black culture all the time. That like their yeah. profit yeah. is is derived from the ideas and style of black women. No, like, I completely agree with that. I completely agree. Like um, like Kim with her box braids and um, how Kylie and Kendall superimpose their faces on Tupac and Biggie and um how kylie literally had that camo print swimwear line that she has was an exact replica of a black woman her name is uh tisita and uh the her brand is brand is plugged nyc i looked i like googled her brand and it's Mm -hmm. it looks exactly like kylie's (laughs) and wow yeah and then there's like she she came with receipts and showed that uh she showed an email correspondence between her and kylie's team being like oh kylie loves your stuff like can you send it to us and then months later kylie releases the line it's so shameless and disgusting like that's that's like no that doesn't even that doesn't even require a nuanced analysis like that's literally <laughs> her stealing from black women yeah no i think that i think there's a lot to say about the kardashians i think they're complicated and i I appreciate them for some things and don't appreciate for them for other things. Like I appreciate how they just like uh, how Kim especially like went after Taylor Swift like that. I really appreciated. But yeah, like all this just stealing of black culture. And I feel like a lot of people don't understand why like people of color get upset when white people appropriate people of color culture. Um, and it's not like it, it's 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 what we're seeing right now with black China, right? Where, you know, what Kim Kardashian did to get her fame and her empire, Black China does it, and people like just lash out at Black China or constantly trying to shame her. Yeah, I I think we've talked a bit about how like cult like I think that uh, one defense of cultural appropriation is that um, like we're that we're special snowflakes that are really sensitive <laughs> and that we just don't realize that actually this is just appreciation like we're eating this food and wearing these wearing these clothes because we appreciate your culture but like it's that in saying that you don't realize your privilege in being able to wear that and having no repercussions for doing so like if you are a white woman with dreads you do not face the same kind of employment consequences that black folks with dreads face. Like, there are literally black folks who have been fired because of the fact that they showed up to work with dreads. Yeah. You know? And, like, if... Yeah. Yeah. Like... Or, or won't be given the job in the first place, right? Like, right. we'll show up with this, their own style and stuff, but when, like, a white woman shows up with that same style, it's fine. Yeah. And, like, you know as an example for my personal life like in middle school I felt so othered because I was one of the only Latina women in like my predominantly white suburb and you know like it was another point of anguish to add to just like the regular tribulations of middle school life and uh you know it's like a small example but Mm -hmm. you know I know that like those same white kids that were making fun of me then are probably now like frequenting hipster pupusidias in the mission you know i bet yeah (laughs) no i feel like we could do a whole episode on appropriation because there's just so many examples in popular culture and books and so much of our culture like this appropriation and 
also like just mocking people the when people of color do it right and then turning around and it's cool when a white person does it like uh what's happening like with eloteros and um, paleteros in la is just absolutely disgusting um but that's a a topic for another time um because there is really a lot to say yeah Yeah, definitely i will but i will go go ahead ahead. no you go ahead i was gonna switch the subject so please finish (laughs) no well i was just okay i was just gonna quickly say that a term that i find really apt for this is columbusing Mm -hmm. which is when yeah white people try something that people of color have been doing forever (laughs) and like suddenly it's new and discovered i really like that like term like we just need to stop also celebrating columbus day and i feel like just the more and more we can start seeing columbus or like columbus scene using that as a derogatory like i love that I know we really do need to do that like it broke my heart when my mom told me that in in her history class in El Salvador they spent a lot of time talking about Christopher Columbus like that's like one of them that's like one of the main history segments my mom remembers from her childhood wow yeah um what I was gonna say earlier is that I would love to continue to talk about Rob and how awful he is I didn't know this Yvette but I saw in the notes that like he has a history with domestic violence yeah so yeah there was an an episode like an early episode of keeping up with the kardashians where he was still dating adrian bylone um adrian bylone i know her from the cheetah girls movies but i I know she's done other things but that's just how i remember her Mm -hmm. um and they were dating at the time they got into an argument and he slapped her on television and how was she not charged or anything or like i hope he was at least fined I know I actually I looking back on it I actually thought it was so interesting that they aired that on TV yeah yeah that's criminal yeah I know I think it just says something about how accepted domestic violence is in our society uh yeah and because like I think I I honestly don't know I don't I think that I I think that to me it just seems like the producers of the show didn't think it was as big a deal as it was um, but it was a really scarring scene. Like Adrian Bailon is really shook and like her holding her hand to her face and she's so scared and she just like storms out. Um, and uh, then in response to Rob's Instagrams, Black China went on Snapchat and she posted a snap that set with the caption, Rob, you hit me, but I'm supposed to keep quiet because you're a Kardashian. And I think it's really interesting that like, the majority of the conversation has been focused on uh, whether or not Black China deserved to have her nudes posted. Um, but which is no, she didn't. Which is she no. did not. Yeah, 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 that point should have been moot from the beginning. But and there's been no talk about these domestic violence accusations, especially when Rob has a history of domestic violence that was literally televised. Yeah, and this is important. Like, we really need to hold on to this. And, like, really just move quickly on our society and domestic violence, especially because what we're seeing now with the current administration, like, I was hearing how Betsy DeVos is, like, going to focus on men's rights on campus sexual assault charges and stuff because apparently, like, all this stuff, I, I started seeing it on the news. And that's just, like, showing where we're heading as a society Um, There's a lot to say about that, but it's just like it's just showing me like we really need to keep believing victims and keep like and survivors and we need to start like keep focusing on that like 
because it's we're about to see a like I feel like we're about to be pushed in a different direction as a whole society so like when we see Rob hitting someone slapping someone slapping Adrian Ballone on TV and then China um accusing him of it like we need to look into this like he needs to be charged for like his revenge for and he like he needs to be at least fined yeah I I totally I totally agree and I also think it's important to talk about how like it's especially as a person who suffers from depression I feel like it's really important for me to point out that just because a person is um suffering from depression or some kind of mental illness like that does not give them any kind of excuse to be abusive to a partner um and like yeah I feel like I've just seen like certain comments that imply that Rob was in a really bad place and that that explains why his behavior was so erratic and no there's never any excuse and like I think that that's often a tool that's used by abusive manipulators to say Mm -hmm. like oh well no it's like I'm sorry I'm depressed that's why I'm doing it I'm lashing out because I'm depressed and it's like no like you you going through a really terrible internal struggle does not at all justify abusing your partner yeah uh i yeah that that also just like is why i would feel like rob is such a terrible person because it's from what i my very limited information on black china and rob's relationship is that rob was doing really poorly like was very unhappy you know wasn't leaving the home and the kardashians were like all worried about him and then black china came along and like really like took him out of that you know made him happy like really helped him deal with his depression um and address it and and change his life and so for him to be so vindictive it just seems so petty and immature you know it's like you should value what like what black china did for you you should like honor that labor that she put into you exactly and i know and i I think that like it's it seemed that rob was salty about like how they how their relationship came to be but it i just found that so ironic because rob was had agency throughout the whole relationship like if rob thought it was weird that china was tyga's ex tyga who's now dating kylie then he should have avoided being with her and i just i thought that it was so it was such a typical like straight cis male move to have played equally a role in causing a situation to occur and then when it goes south to just completely blame all of it on the woman yeah yeah is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up the segment no i think we're good did you not want to mention something about amber rose (laughs) oh i did oh i did (laughs) um thanks for reminding me um yeah i just wanted to quickly highlight the friendship between black china and amber rose um i i really love their friendship I, they like post instagrams with the hashtag bff goals and i think it's really cute because um i think black china went through a lot when tyga left her for kylie when they had a you know she had a child with tyga and um like amber rose stood by her throughout that whole time defended her publicly um and they both just kind of seem like really solid rocks towards each other and just definitely like is a model that I want to follow in in terms of my friendships with the femmes in my life so 
just wanted to highlight that friendship oh yeah and something else i wanted to add that we talked about yvette uh before but didn't mention is this is just also another prime example of how you can be friends with black people or date black people and still be anti-black because the kardashians really just like are a prime example of that oh yeah exactly let's end there So moving into our case for this episode, Yvette, do you want to talk about, you know, who's Pervy Patel and, you know, how did she become this really case, this insane case, this wild case? So Pervy Patel was arrested after she went to the emergency room bleeding heavily. She admitted to having an abortion and throwing the stillborn fetus into a dumpster. The baby died within seconds of being born. And this all happened around 2015, uh, at which point Pervy Patel was convicted of feticide and neglect of a dependent. She was sentenced to 20 years. Uh, she was sentenced to 30 originally, but 10 were suspended, and the six-year feticide charge would be served concurrently. Cynthia, do you want to explain what feticide is? Yeah, so it's actually kind of confusing uh, because of the case law, and I think there's an... Uh, so she appealed her conviction and in that opinion the court kind of explains the law and the terms so it's actually kind of confusing because i mean at its basic it's an act that causes the death of a a fetus but patel was the first woman to be convicted of this in indiana because usually like the statute under which she was charged is used um to prosecute people who cause the death of pregnant women and therefore like of the fetus so for example as someone who's been charged with feticide in the past was someone um like a bank he was a bank robber and he shot um one of the tellers who was pregnant and so it resulted in in both the woman and the her the feticide's death i believe i'm not i think the woman also died and the bar the bank robber was the one that was prosecuted and so Patel's case was the first time that this statute was used against, like, a woman. And so the appeals court on this has really interesting language on all that because I think they're also trying to work through this because of the dictionary definition of feticide, feticide and then, like, into practice and statute. Like, how is it actually, like, what, who is it used to prosecute against? And actually, because... I think in terms of, it's really interesting actually in thinking about who this law has been used against, right? Like um, in 2011, there was a woman whose name was Bebe Shui, who was depressed and tried to commit suicide. And she survived, but her baby didn't. And she was held in prison for a year until her feticide charges were dropped as part of a plea deal. And I know, Cynthia, that you were looking at um, the other people against whom this law has been used, and we noticed a trend, right? Yeah, so it's, so I was reading an article about the case, and they talk about whether, about, you know, public health, right? And so they mentioned, like, a, a survey of how many, of that's conducted by the National Advocates for Pregnant Women, and they found that more than 400 pregnant women were arrested or detained, between 1973 to 2005 in connection with their pregnancy so that's like over 400 women in about like 30 years and but not all of them were prosecuted and so I was 
just in the they list like three different examples and i was just really shocked that they're all women of color so they talk about a migrant farm worker from mexico in south carolina uh who was sentenced to 90 days in jails which is still a lot like three months is more than i could handle and then an 18 year old dominican woman in massachusetts who was um she was arrested and prosecuted but she was sentenced to probation and therapy which is actually more I think like an appropriate sentence, but it's ridiculous that she was charged and prosecuted in the first place. So, but I was just shocked because I was like, of all the women in South Carolina, like, why is it, why are you talking about the migrant farm worker from Mexico? Why is she being charged? Like, why is that your example? Is it because most of these women are women of color? Like, that's, I don't know. I I don't want to make that leap, but I just found it interesting that it's like, they're talking about a Mexican migrant farm worker and an 18 year old Dominican woman. In Massachusetts like what like these aren't predominantly people of color states you know yeah and I think it is fair to make that leap especially considering the history of um, government repression of reproductive rights of women of color like I think it looked a little bit different decades ago when women were forcibly sterilized but I don't think there's any reason to feel like we're jumping to conclusions for pointing out that only immigrant women of color have been targeted by this law um, and I think it's, it makes sense also because immigrant women of color are the least likely to have access to abortion and to reproductive care in general. And yeah. I, th- I think another reason why it's important to highlight this case is that abortion laws are being used more and more punitively. Um, you know, despite Patel's claim that her baby was born and stillborn, the prosecutor decided to move forward and prosecute this case anyway. Yeah, and that's, like, that's my thing with prosecutors. Like, I, it just, they're so overzealous. And, you know, I feel like people instinctively want to trust the state. Like, I've, just working in criminal justice, even, like, uh, communities of color, people who become jurors or people who become witnesses or people who are contacted by the state versus, like, contacted by the defendant's defense team, they always like kind of instinctively trust the state and believe that, oh, the prosecutor is the state, so they must be on the right side. Like journalists, like all, I feel like so many people have this bias. But then you like look at what the work prosecutors are doing and it seems so harmful. Like here's this woman who just went through a really, really traumatic experience and you're going to prosecute her? You're going to lock her up? You're going to make her go through the appeals process that's like how is that helping anyone how is that reducing harm how is that heal like healing any of this it's not you know and Yvette do you want to talk about how this all started how the police were involved in the first place oh yeah so the reason that the police were called in the first place was that the so Pervy Patel went to an emergency room and the doctor who saw her there suspected that she had induced an abortion and called the police. A doctor. Like, a doctor. You're there to, like, heal. You're there to, like, help people who are hurt. And and you're calling the police? Yeah. Um, in my opinion, I think that's a violation of the Hippocratic Oath. Uh, you take an oath to do no harm. And your actions led to this woman being imprisoned like further you know further eroding her mental health i think that's a violation of the hippocratic oath i wonder that i haven't looked this up but we can google this later i bet there's laws about this where 
if you feel like a yeah i bet there's like an exact law requiring mandating some sort of reporting somewhere oh you're right but still in my opinion it's a violation of the hippocratic oath (laughs) no i agree with you um yeah no and this is why i don't yeah so i think like the fact that the prosecutors move forward and prosecuted this case is why like i just i think i find the idea of like reform prosecutors laughable (laughs) (laughs) i agree because like just in even at sls like the people i've met that want to be prosecutors are really callous in in the way that they move forward with charging cases like there was a man who was in um my externship seminar last quarter who said that um he was taking poverty law because he was going to be locking up poor people and yeah i mean at least he's honest and he also said that he really had no qualms bringing charges against homeless people i would say people experiencing homelessness but he said homeless people um and it like that to me just proves that his thinking is aligned with the prosecutors in Perfi patel's case because Mm -hmm. I, i don't think that they were willing to take in like i i just think that um if a person's experiencing homelessness there's a whole myriad of issues that brought them there and sentence like imprisoning them is not going to help those myriad of issues and i think a person who gets to be in pervy patel's position needs so many services in order to avoid the outcome that happened um and i and i think and we were talking a bit before about how this proves the hypocrisy of people who are pro-life because they they ignore all these other services that lead someone to want to have an abortion um and just instead expect someone to have a child in any situation but then also oppose policies that would make it actually viable for that person to support their child in a loving and healthy way yeah and also i feel you know i don't personally know parvi patel i've never had a conversation with her and, and know very little about this case But it's also, like, I feel like our society, like, has some blame to share for, like, just this whole situation. Because if we didn't shame sex or abortions or, like, women's autonomy over their own bodies, you know, maybe Parvi Patel would have actually, like, because there's details about how her body, like, she was in pain for such a long time because she didn't know she was pregnant and she was just cramping and she didn't she never went to see a doctor because she didn't trust them you know and so there's there's so many layers of things that are not her fault that our society has set up to be this way that led to her later imprisonment and so it's like you know she was fucked up front and she was like fucked in the end like you know like no at no point was like her experience centered you know, or what she needed centered or her made the priority. Although clearly she, she must have suffered so much. Yeah. And, and like, I think this is this case also highlights the myriad of ways in which um, poor people are failed in these various systems. Like she was afraid of the doctor. And I think there'd be a lot of like elitist people even like elitist liberals who would say like this is the importance of prevent like preventive health care she should have gone to a doctor and the thing is like she had every reason to be paranoid about the healthcare system it was the doctor who called the police mm-hmm. <laughs> so clearly her fear was based in truth 
Um, yeah. And, yeah. And there was just a lot of shaming, right, of the relationship that produced the pregnancy in the first place. So it's not like she could openly talk about this or seek support from a lot of people. Yeah. Um, should we talk about the appellate holding? Oh, yeah, please do. Um, so in the end, um, the appellate court didn't hold her to be guilty of class A felony neglect. Um, but because they, they felt like their prosecution didn't bring enough evidence that the healthcare that Pervy Patel had failed to give her child, uh, upon birth had directly led to the death of the child, of the fetus, um, which would have been required for class A felony neglect. Um, and so instead she was, but she was charged with, um, class D felony neglect and what they had to prove for that was that there was sufficient evidence to prove that she was subjectively aware that her baby had been born alive and that there was enough evidence that she had neglected to provide her baby with medical care after birth. But I'm not sure that this was because they remanded that part of the case back to the trial court. And I couldn't find anything saying that she had gone to trial again or maybe they like the prosecutors offered a plea deal so that they wouldn't have to go to another trial. So I'm not sure what happened there. She actually ended up serving time on a class D. Right. But they did, I guess the appellate court did feel like there was enough evidence to prove that. Um, although, yeah, like you said, the trial court could have ruled either way or they could have just pled out. Um, but they also ruled that illegal abortions aren't covered by the feticide statute and that just generally the feticide statute doesn't apply to women who have abortion, which is a good outcome. Like, yeah. good, good as in, like, the best possible in this shitty situation. Yeah, the the court actually had some, like, I thought, good language about, you know, they say the state's about face in this proceeding is unsettling. You know, so just calling out, like, the prosecutors, what you're doing here is unsettling. And I think for a judge that's actually really strong language even though like to us like unsettling would be really mild but i think that is like just uh shaming the prosecutors for what they for what they did these charges and so i thought that language was good but i was also wondering like because i feel like this case got a lot of publicity because it was such a weird uh charge and so i'm wondering how much the judge was influenced by the media and not necessarily out of their own volition yeah, I mean, I think anytime there's public outcry, I always know that it's the public outcry that helps sway decision makers. Yeah. Yvette, do you want to add anything before we wrap up? Um, just that this case is important to pay attention in realizing the ways in which abortion laws are being used punitively and the way in which people are trying to be creative and trying to think of new ways to criminalize abortion. So we should definitely be vigilant, especially for people who care about immigrant women of color. Okay, so let's talk about The Handmaid's Tale. If y'all haven't watched The Handmaid's Tale or are worried about spoilers, go ahead and just skip ahead 15 minutes to hear the recommendations portion of our episode. 15 to 17 minutes. I'll try to post the exact time on the description of this episode so Yvette uh I listen to you and watch The Handmaid's Tale I literally always listen to all your I always watch your tv recommendations um I remember you said that 
watching it was like very traumatic or like triggering each episode and I completely agreed with you like I could not watch more than one episode in a day I know it's actually like as I was watching each episode I was like it wasn't I don't know if I would describe it as fun like I was definitely entertained the whole time but it was like watching a you know that feeling that you get when you're watching a scary movie you don't know what's gonna happen you're really anxious that was how I felt every time I was watching an episode I I was engrossed by it but I I wouldn't describe it as like pleasurable my roommate and I had so much anxiety over this show yeah especially I think the episodes that um touched me the most um was the the one where Alexis Bledel's character um had her what I assume was her clitoris removed Mm-hmm. Um, after um, she was deemed to be a gender traitor because she was a lesbian. Um, and also just generally all the scenes where um, the man is having sex with a handmaid. While, is raping a handmaid. Oh yeah, is, sorry, is raping, right, is raping a handmaid while the like, wife is behind her like such a creep such creepy scenes yeah yeah there's a lot to say but just right off the bat like we there's been a lot of articles that talk about how much the the tv show chose to address racism and race do you find the way they addressed it to be believable no not at all i i just i didn't i didn't at all believe that a situation in which women were being mined for their reproductive abilities wouldn't have racial implications when reproductive justice has always been tied up in questions of race. Like, the whole eugenics movement um, was about the supposed superiority of white people. Um, And so I, I didn't think that, especially, you know, it seems like all the leaders were white men from, from the scenes that I saw. So yeah, I just I didn't believe that like uh, like m- babies of color would be valued in the same way in the society that's like um so explicitly centered on repro- reproducing for the purposes of strengthening the nation state. I think that there would always be ideas of race tied into that. What do you think? Yeah. No, so I agree with you. It's not believable. I read an interview. I think it was an interview of Juno Diaz of Margaret Atwood, the the uh, woman who wrote the book, and she talk. They talk about that, and she says that the TV shows went with it because they felt that like mo- like in modern times there's less segregation, so it'd be less <laughs> believable to not have women of color or like people of color in the tv show and margaret atwood was like yeah you know like in 1985 like it would make sense but also nowadays like who just wants to watch a tv show of just all white people and i'm just like well the majority of them are still all white people so that's clearly not a concern for most tv shows but i just found like that was so shallow of an understanding of race and race relations especially of relations with white people like yeah, I, I'm not sure that we're any less segregated um, than we were in 1985. And by, yeah, I agree with you that there's no way race would just be completely ignored. And, you know, like there were wives who were like women of color. I remember that being a scene. And I was just like, I just didn't 
defy it that they would allow women of color to be in these higher positions you know like it would make sense to me why the handmaids were allowed to be uh women of color because you know we had slavery and all that and women it's basically what happened to the women in slavery but it doesn't make i didn't buy that like oh they'd be fine having like like these women of color in in the higher but not actually higher positions yeah i think it's like really irresponsible of margaret atwood to say that because our schools are more segregated now than they were at the time of brown versus board segregation is still a really huge issue and like even like just for the argument's sake even though this is inaccurate let's just say that like we were in a better i don't don't, was this post-trump that she made this that statement yeah it was in an interview with juno diaz i believe uh not that long ago okay that's just weird see why people are in like their own little bubble (laughs) i don't understand how you would say that yeah also (laughs) i don't know about you yvette but i like even at stanford i feel like people of color we hang out with each other and i'm just constantly amazed at how many white people seem to have no friends of color and even like if you have like having a token friend of color isn't also representative like we said in our in our segment about black china there's a classmate of ours who has admitted that their family has never had a person of color over for dinner i'm not surprised i can't (laughs) say i'm surprised so yeah i know from right off the bat that didn't feel believable but there was a lot of other uh aspects that did feel really believable so for example something that i totally like could see happening was the role of serena joy and her role in creating Gilead and her, you know, her ideas of domestic feminism, that I was just like, this makes sense. This is real. I see this. White feminism is basically domestic feminism in some ways. Yeah, I think it's important to bring that up, like, because um, I think this, like, that idea of, like, well, I don't know. I guess, do you want to explain what you mean by domestic feminism? Well, Serena Joy was writing about this, right? How, like, women, like, you were a feminist if you, like, wanted to stay at home and, like, cook. And, like, you were just so distracted by everything else that you weren't, like, prioritizing. Like, the family life um, is, like, what I remember from the TV show it described as. And so she was, you know, she was an architect in this, how the society would be set up and, like, what women's values would be. But at the same time, she was ignoring that, like, well, you were, you're able to write this, you're able to think about this critically, you're able to produce these books because of the exact opposite of what you're asking for. Yeah, I think um, her character reminds me of um, Phyllis Shafley. I might be pronouncing her last name wrong, but she was the woman who was really outspoken against the Equal Rights Amendment. And um, it's it was really ironic because she became this like really prominent public figure because of her views on women's place and how the women belong in the home. And I don't really know how those women hold those things in tension with each other or how they like reconcile that tension. Because you say that you want women to be submissive and to like only be in the home but you lead this very public life yeah it's like if you that's 
yeah, if you really believe that, then why aren't you in your house writing this down to yourself in your diary? And I think from what I remember, like, Phyllis Shafley was really performative about it. Like, she would bake pies and, like, bring them to her speeches and be like, oh, this is what I really should be doing. But I totally agree that, like, the character of Serena Joy is, I think, sadly, just, like, totally a possibility. Um, Yvette, did you ever feel sorry for her or sad for her? Um... I, yeah, I, I felt, yeah. I mean, I, I I think I, like, sometimes have a little too much empathy. Um, but I ha- I felt sorry for her and, f- um, in a way, for her husband also because I thought it was really sad the way in which their, their love deteriorated. Like, um, prior to this like Gilead totally becoming what Gilead was it seemed like I think their ideas were really fucked up and they definitely both need therapy but they (laughs) (laughs) but they had a really loving marriage like um what I mean by that is that they had respect and admiration for each other and he really thought of her as a thought leader like um in the transition between the old world and Gilead he kept trying to get her to come to meetings saying you are a really important part of this like you need to be a part of this too and it was like his male colleagues that were like no like obviously her place is in the home like it's inappropriate for her to be here and then um Gilead became what it was and she just totally had a submissive and secondary role and so I felt bad for her because I think like she didn't realize how she was contributing to her own demise but like I said I sometimes have too much empathy did yeah, you feel no. did you feel bad for her? I think I do. I did because of just how the TV show was created, right? So you're I feel like sometimes you you're forced to feel sorry for people just by the way the 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 TV show is made and filmed and and everything. Uh so I think I was forced to feel sorry for her. But when I like, especially after the episode where we find out how much of a role she had, I'm just like, you did this to your damn self. You know, you don't, I don't, you don't get to feel bad. You don't get to be sad now when you caused the rape of so many women. Like, I don't know. Like, I just, I'm in that emotion where it's like, you did this to your damn self. And also like about her husband, like, this is why I don't trust men. Like they, yeah, you know, he lost so much in this society. This society, you know, was made it so that it was impossible for him to have like a healthy relationship or to enjoy what comes of having like consensual healthy sexual encounters with women he lost all of that as much as the women did but I don't I don't trust men to like resist something like this you know I just feel like there's so many examples in our society and in our movies where it just seems like this is what men want. You know, they really do just want women catering to all their needs without any sort of like consent or partnership in it. And and I don't know, I just maybe not maybe not in actuality because they do lose so much, but I just I don't trust that any men like were really putting up a heavy resistance to Gilead. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think that that also makes me sad because like I do think that um when we achieve like gender liberation for everybody and sexual liberation for everybody um 
everybody's going to benefit, even the people who are most privileged in this gendered society, um, because toxic masculinity, um, you know, disproportionately affects femmes who are the victims, uh, victims and survivors of, of this gendered violence, but also um, it's toxic to hold that kind of ideal within yourself. Um, like, I think an example of that is how um, the relationship between Serena and the dude, his name I don't even remember, um, like, went from being an equal partnership to being an, like, unequal dictatorship. And I think that anybody who thinks that that's a favorable outcome is really sick. And, like, I think um, an equal partnership is something that everybody should strive for and that everybody benefits from. So I think it's just, like, very, very sad that he didn't realize that. And Yeah. yeah. No, I agree that I. it seems like they were actually happy. But then, again, like he was totally fine leaving her back when it actually like came to it right like he would play he would play scrabble with uh the handmaid he wouldn't you know he wouldn't allow her in he would go to the brothel with her you know and like have sex with her and want that sexual relationship with which was essentially rape it was not a sexual relationship yeah. um right and so it's just like he just like was okay he just moved on from that relationship while serena i think was still trying to hold on yeah definitely so what did you think of the di- diplomats from Mexico, the the whole little trade deal that was going on? I felt very... That scene, I felt, was very sad for me um, because I wanted the, the diplomat from Mexico um, to change her her to change her position on the trade deal uh, upon realizing that these women were actually sexually enslaved but I felt like it was an accurate depiction of state violence and how um, economic interests are prioritized over human interests and so I felt like it was an accurate depiction of that yeah same I was really disappointed I was I think like you I was expecting her to change her opinion and when she didn't and when she justified it it just it was hard but it was also yeah I agree with you I feel like this is how it is right like if you think of all the countries the U.S. is allied with or like where our president goes and takes pictures with their president like I don't know it's it just yeah when there's other interests it doesn't matter about the human rights violations should we talk about like reproductive justice and like, what the Handmaid's Tale focuses on versus like what reproductive justice means for women of color? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Uh, so I think it's really, I think it's interesting that like so much of The Handmaid's Tale is focused on. I mean, it's, well, at first I'll say that, like, the the kind of sexual enslavement that they portray is really, like you said earlier, really reminiscent of what happened to black women during slavery. And then I think it's, like, for that reason, really irresponsible that they didn't properly portray race in, in, this, in the episodes and, like, the whole storyline. 
But then also, I think that, um, like, I, I read that there was, like, um, some women who organized, like, a Handmaid's Tale-themed protest. Um, and it, I think, it was centered around access to abortion. And that, to me, highlights how, like, oftentimes white women aren't cognizant of what reproductive justice means for women of color. Because because of, like, forced sterilizations that have occurred um, towards Mexican women, black women, and Puerto Rican women, I think white women don't realize that, like, actually being able to have healthy children is a right that is not yet guaranteed to women of color. And I think that the show didn't, in, like, totally ignoring race, didn't at all do a good enough job of highlighting that. Because there could have been so many scenes where the women of color who give birth to their children would have been more scarred or like the, it would have been like uh, a deeper continuance of history for them because um, there's a whole history of like women of color not being denied the right to have a child um, or having their children taken away, etc. Yeah, I agree. I Women of color have to fight for reproductive justice on so many different fronts it's not just about access to abortion some of it is about access to abortion about access to like safe abortions but some of it is also like you know and there's also like access to birth control and there's that aspect but then there's also just like the aspect of like not getting sterilized against your knowledge or your will and then also about having you know, economic and social support for when you do decide to have children, right? Like having social services in place that help you have those healthy children. So yeah, I think I'm glad you brought it up because that's so true. Um, Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Uh, No, I think I'm good. So moving on to our recommendations, Yvette, what are you, what do, what do you recommend to our listeners this week? I have a fun recommendation this week. Um, I found a new favorite show on Hulu. It's called Superstore. Um, it's, uh, it's the same kind of theme as The Office, and I think it's the same producer as The Office. Um, it's like a workplace comedy about, you know, all the shenanigans and silly shit that happens at work with your coworkers who are absurd. Um, and it's like, but it's like funnier than the office because it has people of color and like working class people on it. It's, it's like supposed to be like, a like people who work at a Walmart. Um, and I like crack up every single episode. America Ferreira is, um, one of the leading actresses in it and it's super, super funny. So I recommend it. I will watch it for sure. Um, my recommendation for this week is Chani Nicholas. She's an astrologer. She writes amazing horoscopes. And like, I swear, if you're not reading her horoscopes every week, you're doing yourself a disservice in terms of your mental health, in terms of your own sense of empowerment. She just writes really awesome horoscopes. And she teaches you so much about like, just why that's your horoscope for this week i think she's doing it now for every two weeks because she is so busy and she also does a lot of webinars um just teaching folks stuff and she's just so aware of our climate and what's going on in the world and 
isn't it's not like a horoscope of like oh this week like uh you're gonna have sunshine and you're gonna meet a guy that you really love like it's none of that it's so different it's so substantive it's so helpful I just really recommend it. It's just beautiful writing. If you don't believe in astrology at any level or the zodiacs, it's just beautiful writing and really, I think, uh, good meditation sometimes to just read those. And she'll write affirmations um, every like every couple of horoscopes. So I really recommend to read and I'll definitely post a link. Awesome. Well, Yvette, I hope you feel better. I know you're a little sick. <laughs> I um, know. I hope I feel better too. <laughs> but... It was lovely, as always, to speak Love. with you. Mm-hmm. Lovely, as always. Bye. 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 Bye.